You can say the prodigal returns for a Sabbath, huh? I must admit, coming in, many of you ask, where's Maria? I feel like you've come out to see her. Nice to see you too. She couldn't make it. She's under the weather, so she is home resting up, feeling a bit better, but she needs her rest. She sends her greetings and love, and hopefully, um, boy, it's been, what, eight years or so. Hopefully we'll come back sooner than eight years. Hopefully in eight years we'll be in the kingdom. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's a privilege to be with you. Nowadays, I'm thankful for the Lord's traveling mercies. Do a lot of traveling through the different churches in Ohio. I think last year when I turned my taxes in, it was about 40,000 miles on my car. So visiting our 11 schools and different churches and adventures and pathfinders and high school and uh, young adult ministry and campus ministries keeps me on the road. And I'm thankful that the Lord keeps us safe and gives us the privilege to serve. And one of the joys of youth ministry is, of course, summer camp. Uh, it's good to see some of those young people that, uh, you, as you go to the churches, you see them at camp. And what a ministry summer camp is. You know, like, like Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, nature and revelation alike testify of God's love. And so when you bring them out into God's nature at Mohaven, 700 acres of God's beautiful nature, and you have the Mohican River, and you have horses, and you have trails, and you have this amazing opportunity where young people get in touch with nature. Let's face it, today's young people, when I was growing up, our parents tried to get us to come in the house. Today, I'm trying to get my kids to get kicked out of the house. Um, and, and we take their phones away for a week. And of course, they're able to call mom and dad at certain times of the day. But, you know, to have them be in God's nature and not on the screen, and to hear them listening, uh, you know, often parents send me a text after camp and say, my kid is singing about Jesus. So it's just a privilege to see young people turn back to the Lord. And, and to go back to God's nature. And so everything we do is that we want our young people to stay close to Jesus. And that's why I appreciate the fact that you involve your young people. Um, may that continue to happen because our churches are not to grow old, they're to grow young. Amen? Amen. So continue to pray for us in, in youth ministry. Uh, you know, the devil always attacks when you're serving. But I found it true that the devil attacks harder when you're trying to minister to children and youth. Um, and he did that when the disciples tried to st- uh, stop the children coming to Jesus, right? Uh, so let them come to me. Well, today I'd like to encourage you through, since it's a new year, back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to the beginning I hope to finish soon so that we can uh, be home on safe roads. Genesis chapter 1. I've been spending some time looking at Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning of this year. and, And my heart has been encouraged. And I hope that I could share with you a few encouraging words this Sabbath. 
from not only the introduction and the beginning of the book of Genesis, but really Genesis 1 is the introduction and the beginning of the whole scripture. It really introduces all of scripture. And would you mind if we just pause for a moment of prayer before we get into God's word? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, what a privilege to come before you today to praise you, to worship you, to adore you, to recognize you as our creator and our redeemer, our sustainer, our savior. We ask, Father, that you will pour out your spirit today, that your spirit may speak through your word, that it may not be my words, but your words. It may not be my thoughts, but your thoughts. I pray that the Spirit may uplift Christ and that we may see Jesus through your word. And the promise of John 12, that I, if I be lifted up, will draw all peoples to me. And I pray that as Jesus is lifted up, we may be drawn closer to him, deeper into his love, deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Strengthen that as we face a new week, we may walk with you and that everyone around us may see Jesus in our life. So, Father, I pray that the words that I speak and the meditations of my thoughts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. And in your precious name I pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 was written, of course, by Moses, but at a time when God was fully misunderstood. Now, we got to go back to the time when Lucifer rebelled up in heaven. And you remember, he began his rebellion very deceptively. He began rebellion by insinuating that God is not the God that the angels think he is. That he is not a God of love, that he is not a God of mercy and justice, that he is not a God of truth, but he is a selfish God. And the only reason he created the angels and the universe is so that they could serve him. And then he insinuated that if he would be in the place of Christ, he could do things much better, right? So he would come, if you read in Patriarchs of Prophet, he would come before God and fall down and adore and worship like the other angels. But then when he left God's presence, as if thinking God doesn't know, he would tell the angels, I don't think we can trust God. You see, putting doubts. And so when, according to Revelation 12, he was thrown out of heaven and came to this earth, he continued misrepresenting God. And so he would tell humans that there isn't a one true God, there are many deities. And that these deities are ones that you could even see, the sun and the moon, right? And then you would worship these deities in order to appease them, because they're not for you. And they're against you. And the only reason that God's created in the first place is so that they would serve the gods. The humans would serve the gods. You see, so he totally misrepresented. And creation itself 
came to be through war. Moses, growing up in Egypt, learned under Egyptian mythical cosmogony that the sun god Ray was warring against the ocean god Noon, and that's how creation came about. And then the Babylonians taught that the creation came about by the god Marduk trying to fight the divine sea serpent Tiamat. So when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, after his own conversion experience of leaving Egypt and finding God, right, by Mount Sinai, he wrote it at a time when the world was in total darkness about who God was. And so he begins the words in Genesis 1-1, well known, in the beginning, God. You see, all of scripture is about God. He is the central theme. People try to argue how, how creation came about. Well, let's, let's make something clear. God spoke the universe into creation. He didn't need millions of years. He didn't need to, to try to start it up and, and let it run. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means that there, the, the, the universe has a beginning. God does not. There was a time when the universe was not, but God was. And God chose to create, you see? And so the first thing that we learn from Moses is that there aren't many gods. There's the one true God, the creator God. And then you find that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I'm telling you, such deep words. But one of the things you realize is as God created the universe, and as he decides to create on planet earth, when he comes here to give it its second touch, you find that the earth is what? Without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So, what we're told by Moses is when God created, there was darkness. When Moses wrote this, there was darkness. You see? And what you find is that the first thing God does in verse 3 is he speaks. Let, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was what? light. You see, one thing that John reminds us in his little epistle, 1 John, that God is what? Light. And in order to have life, you must have light. And so God first creates light in a dark world. The purpose of scripture is to bring God's light into a dark world. The purpose of creation was for God to bring light into a dark world. And notice verse 4 and 5. And God saw the light, that it was what? Good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. I want you to notice a few things here. First of all, I'm intrigued by this fact that the evening and the morning were the first day. You know, for, for the world, even though a new day begins at midnight, 
we often believe a new day begins when you wake up. In fact, according to you know Egyptian mythology, if you would go there on the west side of the Nile is where they would bury people because the sun sets where? On the west. And so you started the day when the light came up and you ended the day in darkness. Uh, You had your life and then you went to death. But according to scripture, the day begins when you go to sleep. That's why we begin the Sabbath at sunset. And so we begin a new day by going to sleep, which means we begin a new day trusting that he who watches over us neither sleeps nor slumbers. We begin the day by faith. Amen? And so I love the fact that as families, we ought to begin the day with worship, evening worship, trusting that he will give us a good night's rest and that we will begin continue the day glorifying him when we wake up. Amen? So the evening and the morning. Everything that you find here in Genesis chapter 1 points to the fact of who God is. For example, God is without peer and competitor. There aren't many gods who are trying to war against each other But the true God is the creator of the sun, the moon. In fact, if you notice, it even tells us that he created the sea monsters. In Bible times, sea monsters were gods. No, they're not gods. They're just a creation of God. You see? There's no one who compares to our God. He is the true God. But not only is he the true creator God, he is the lawgiver God. Because even in Genesis, we find that God shows us he's the lawgiver. For example, on day four, what does he do? Notice, if you look at verse 14, then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. What is he doing? He's putting law in motion, isn't he? He's ordering things into motion. He is the lawgiver that says, Sun, this is your job. Moon, this is your job. Stars, this is what you are to do. Then when he creates humans, he says, You are made stewards of planet Earth. And then you find in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. One of the things I've noticed about the book of Genesis is that God loves to bless. Read through Genesis, and you notice the word bless is over and over again. God blessed on the fifth day his creation. God blessed on the sixth day his creation, that they may multiply. God blessed the seventh day, which is unique, because usually God blesses animate things. Here, God blesses a day. Then he wants to bless his children, Abraham, and bless the world through Abraham. And all throughout the book of Genesis, God longs to bless. Which is unique because when Moses wrote this, the gods did not want to bless. The gods wanted to hurt humanity. 
And the day of the gods were actually cursed days. Nobody looked forward to the day of the gods. Do you know why? Because there would be a human sacrifice, and you didn't want to be that human sacrifice. And so when the day of the gods came about, it was a fearful, horrible day. And Moses comes around and says, the day of God, the seventh day, is a blessed day. It's not a day to be fearful and scared and and and. And God is not out to get you. He's out to bless you on this day. There's something about this day that when you worship him, there's a blessing to it. So when light came into the world, it not only came into the world through creation, it came into the world through scripture because it revealed the true creator God. It's amazing to me as I look through Genesis 1 how the number 7 pops up over and over again. Just to give you a few notes here. For example, in the original Hebrew, verse 1 is composed of seven words. I think Moses did that on purpose. Verse 2 is composed of 14 letters. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 1 is not only composed of seven words, but also 14 letters, which is seven times two. The first seven letters cover up to the word God, and the second seven letters continue to the end of the verse. So you have the first verse, seven letters, Elohim, God, seven letters. You see? Not only that, verse 2 is 14 words, seven times two. The word create is seven times. The, the key phrase, God saw that it was good, seven times. The key phrase, and it was so, seven times. The word God is 35 times. If you love math, that's seven times what? You don't love math. All right. Seven times five. And the word the earth is 21 times. And of course, creation is in seven days. You read through Genesis 1, and over and over again, Moses on purpose highlights the number seven. It is as if Genesis 1 has a rhythm of seven to it. Do you know why? Because creation took place in a rhythm of seven. We were created to begin work on Sunday, the first day, and to rest on the seventh day. And he brings it out so many different ways. I remember as being a pastor, you know, I started my ministry here in Ohio at this pulpit in this church. And Saturday to me was a day of work. Because I would preach two sermons. I would preach here, run over to Westlake, and preach in Hungarian. And I do that over and over again. And one day, I remember sitting at the behind the pew, getting uh, behind the pulpit, getting ready to preach at the Hungarian church, thinking, I spent so much time worrying about how I'm going to preach and making sure I do it right, and nervous. Uh, any of you get nervous being up front? And, and, and nervous about all of this, that I'm not really enjoying this. And there then I decided the Sabbath is not a day of work, it's a day of worship. I'm going to enjoy worshiping with my brothers and sisters. And so when people say, well, pastors work on Sabbath, shame on them if they do. They ought to worship on Sabbath, amen? They ought to work the rest of the week. They ought to visit. They ought to give Bible studies. They ought to do everything. Sabbath is when they come to worship, amen? And so there's a blessing when we get together on the Sabbath because it's a rhythm that God worked into creation.
There's one more thing about the creation of the world. It points to the creator. Right? You ever have your children, when they were small, they would make you something out of clay, maybe in art class at school, and you'd bring it home and say, wow, that's wonderful. What is it? <laughs> right? You've been there? And, but, you know, they were creators of something. And, and, you know, if they're a little goofy, then it'll be a little goofy. If, if they're neat and orderly, you can tell, wow, yeah, that, that kid is neat and orderly. They made it. If they're industrious, they try to put as much into it as possible. The creation reveals the creator. And so it's the same thing in nature. Though sin has marred creation... And though, as Paul says in Romans, nature groans, right? It still reveals God. And we notice that all the time when we ask children to come out into God's nature. I remember this little boy who comes out. We sing a lot of songs about Jesus at camp. And I notice that he closes his eyes and he covers his ears. And I notice that and I go up to him and I say, do we sing that bad or what, what's wrong with, with the... And he says, no, I, I don't like music. I don't know how to sing. Can you imagine not knowing how to sing about Jesus? See, he, came, he, he comes from a background where there is no God. He comes from a background where, where they don't talk about Jesus. He knows nothing about Jesus. He comes to camp and he hears praising about Jesus. And he doesn't understand it. He doesn't grasp it. And so I told him, my prayer for you by next summer is that you learn to sing about Jesus. Where better to learn about Jesus than in nature? Amen? Amen. There was another time when a young boy, Friday afternoon, we have what's called uh, agape feast. Of course, agape meaning love. We, we bring the kids together and, and, and we, we remember the love of Jesus for us. And, and so... I've noticed over the years that usually there are some children that start acting out by Friday. And so there was this one boy that really was not listening to his counselors. And finally the counselor came to him and said, Pastor, you got to help me. I, I don't know what else to do with this boy. And of course it's illegal to duct tape him to a door or something. So, uh, so what we, which we don't do by the way. I'm just joking. But, so, so I go up to this boy and, and I, and I ask him, what's wrong? And tears started coming from his face. He says, well, it was my mom and I for a long time. And she's been dating this person that's abusive. And I have to stand up. And now it looks like I have to move in with my grandpa. And his struggles have nothing to do with camp. But at camp, he's a boy. At camp, he's loved. At camp, he sees Jesus, and he knows Sunday he's going back to an environment that is hurtful, harmful, painful. And it hurts too deep. And so I hugged him and prayed with him. And the God of creation will go with you and be with you. There's another boy who who just wanders you know, we, we call him Little Wonder, and, and we tell our counselors, he comes every year, you got to keep an eye on that boy, because he just wanders everywhere on camp. Luckily, we have 700 acres to wander, but he just wanders. 
And, and so you, you almost think he doesn't listen. Even when he calls home to mom, he grabs the phone and he just wa- runs in circles just like this. I mean, he just does not stand still. And I'm wondering, what does he get out of camp? He stayed for two weeks last summer. And then, you know, they get to send home a, a note to mom in the middle of the camp. And our, our office manager sent, sent me the note he sent home to mom. This is cute. Let me share with you. Some of the things they share with is what cabin they're in, what their favorite meal is. His is biscuits and gravy. Yummy. And then he loves Jim. And then notice what's his favorite thing about camp. Jim with Dakota. He reminds me of how God protects us. Now, this is a counselor who's taller than me, pretty muscular, athletic. That's his counselor. And he says, every time I see my counselor, he reminds me of God and how God protects me. And then notice what he writes here. There's a little boy who you think just walks around and doesn't understand anything. I was planning to be baptized this week, but I need to talk to you. Can I perhaps have pastor and I have Bible studies together? What happens when we take young people or we go into God's nature. We see the creator. And my prayer is, dear friends, is that in the hustle and the bustle that we recognize God in creation. What do you say? That we do come aside. Because I tell you what, the enemy tries so hard to keep us so busy and so focused on the things of the world that we don't have time. But nature and revelation alike testify to God's love. And so what we learn from Genesis chapter 1. Now, real quickly, I want us to notice something else. As we come to a close, go to John, John chapter 1. John has this gift of bringing creation and redemption together. John chapter 1. Watch this. In the beginning. Sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? Watch this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So, John picks up where Moses left off. He clarifies that the one who did the actual creation is Jesus, right? And so we find that all things were made through Him, but notice... Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was what? The light of man. So again, we go 4,000 years away from creation, and God's people are in spiritual darkness. How so? Well, they worship the true God on the right day, right? But they have so much formalism and so, so many traditions that they really don't know God, do they? To them, God is again this person to be feared. And so in this darkness, who shows up? The light. And the reason Jesus came, many reasons Jesus came. He came to defeat the devil. And there are many reasons. But the reason Jesus came is to reveal to us who God is. Right? Because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Right? And, and so notice what we're told here in John chapter 3. 
We all know the famous verse, right? Verse 16. Everybody quotes it, and if you're a football player, you put it, you know, on those little bands under your eyes and, and so on. And, and But notice what happens afterwards. Verse 16, God so loved the world, and so on. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't it wonderful that we're not condemned by God? But he came to save us. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now notice, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were what? Evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. See, the point that when Jesus came into the world is to bring light. But was he accepted or rejected by many? Many of them rejected him, right? Because they were so accustomed and loved the darkness. And so Jesus, again, Longs to shed light into the world. Now the question is, do we love darkness rather than light? I love the fact how John brings two important parts of God into the picture. Verse 16, he begins, for God so loved. And then he goes on, for he is light. Same thing as in 1 John. God is light. God is love. And the problem too often is people like to hang out in one camp of that. God is love, like the Nicolaitans, right, as we talked about. God is love. You can do whatever you want. God is light. So we must become traditional and formalist. Like Martin Luther said, do you know what happens when you put a drunkard on a horse? Of course you know what happens. He falls off. What you don't know is whether he falls to the right or to the left. Same thing with us Christians. We often are like drunkards. We either fall to the left or to the right. We need to stay in the word of God and recognize that God is light. That he is the lawgiver. That we are to stay close to his word and close to him. And yet he is also love. That he loves the sinner of whom I am chief. If you go with me to Ephesians chapter Notice how Paul puts this. Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Watch this, verse 1. And you, as speaking to you and me, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What is Paul saying? We were in darkness. We were dead. But God, who created the world, recreated us. Aren't you glad for that? That God has the power to transform lives. Now notice, he goes on to say, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. See, when God created the world, he created light in order that we may know him, that we may see his attributes. Amen? And when Jesus came into the world, he became light that we may see him. Well, today, he recreated us that the world through us may see Jesus. We are to be light in the world. That when they see our good works, they don't congratulate us, but that they glorify Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you, we're living in crazy times. I had a friend recommend a book, which I don't recommend, <laughs> but I read it, and it's called Homo Deus, and it's really a, the history of the future, where the world is heading, and it's kind of scary. Really, what it's saying is that the God of the Bible is dead. There's a new God in town. It's science. You know it's true that people believe this, and so... We can live three to four, five hundred years if we can figure it out. And the filthy rich are spending millions of dollars on trying to get you to live longer, like hundreds of years, for you to become like a demigod. In other words, you have heart attacks, well, we can take care of that. If we can figure out nanorobots that go into your body and that can open up your arteries and heal your heart and can kill those cancers and, and... that's where, you know, and, and of course, we're getting to the point where we don't want us working. We're, we're, we're having robots do all the work for us, right? Uh, uh, you know, self-driving cars. And, and even when you go shopping, you don't go to a cashier. You go through what? You know, uh, uh, a self, self-checkout. And then, of course, even in pharmacy, if you're wanting to go to pharmacy school, they're, they're testing out where they're making robot pharmacists. So I'm telling you, we're heading into a world where science is gone. And what is science telling us? God did not create you. You're here by accident. In a time like today, when God is not only misrepresented, but God is buried. He wants to shine through his children. Because you cannot argue with the fact that I was dead in trespasses and I'm a new being. How are you different? How are you loving? How are you kind? It is because God is not dead. He is alive. And he transforms my life. And he can do the same for you. At a public campus, there was a a group of Seventh-day Adventists who decided to meet together, worship together, and, and perhaps even share Christ on that public campus. And so what they decided to do is invite others to it. And there was this young girl who, who didn't know anything about God, didn't grow up to know God, and she decided to make friends with this group and, and went to their, to their uh, social events and uh, to a couple of Bible studies. And the group found out when her birthday was coming up. So they decided to throw a surprise birthday party for this girl. And so they put a menu together, they, they decorated, they, they cooked, and, and so they threw this surprise party for her. 
And after the surprise party, she walked up to one of the leaders of the group and, and said, no one ever did anything like this for me. I can't believe you do this. Is this what God's love is like? You see, works of love will accomplish so much more than sermonizing. And that's coming from a person who preaches. <laughs> that people will recognize love when I care for them, put my arms around them, feed them, clothe them. Right? Care for them. Is this what God's love is like? Yeah. The light was shining at a surprise birthday party. All friends, in a world that we're living in, God is misrepresented. God is buried. But let there be light. Let it shine through you and me. Let's bask in his word often. And let him shine through us, my prayer is. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Martin. Wonderful message, amen? Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our closing hymn, which is going to be 329. And if you would, kindly stand when you find it. 329. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All his joys are but a name. But his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption. Pledge of the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching o'er me, I can sing through billows roll. Oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love, oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout my pilgrim journey, life will cheer me all the while. Oh, the light and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption. Pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust shall be. Till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of 
Neil, as far as possible, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for being our Creator God. We praise you, Father, for sending Jesus into the world to be the light of the world. And you've challenged us to continue to be a light in a dark world. Lord, we pray that you will pour out your Spirit upon us, that we may stay close to Jesus, that we may bask in his beauty immersed in his word, and that he may shine through us, we ask. Lord, I don't know the challenges nor the joys that we shall face this coming week, but you do. I pray that as we depart from this place, may your spirit remain with each one of us. Guide our footsteps. Give us discernment. Give us the strength and the courage. And I pray that the compassionate heart of Jesus may flow through us to touch lives around us this week. And Lord, whatever challenges may come, I pray that you sustain your people and that you continue to give us faith, hope, and love to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.